Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, my friends. Hi, guys. Everybody ready for the show? All right, well, this is Behind the Bastards, and you might know me as the executive producer, Anderson's mom, or that, who's that really annoying voice? Laughing, obnoxiously in the background. Oh, thanks, guys. (laughs) Well, first to the stage, let's welcome Reverend Dr. Billionaire Wayne Davis. Live, in person, and not trapped in an iPad. My favorite bastard, Reverend Doctor, Robert Evans. (laughs) So I let it go to my head a little bit. (laughs) Jesus. You like me to hold something? You got so much going on right now. I didn't plan for after coming in with the cape, just for coming in with the cape. You just, you look like one of those people that like, you're going to battle, but then you get to battle and you're like, ah, I I did not. (laughs) Oh, wearing things in battles. Not think this through. (laughs) How you doing tonight, Billy? Man, I'm fucking good. I wanted to thank you, Billy, for this, the wonderful gift of this machete. I got a new one. Billy just gave it to me. And... You know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a connoisseur, and what I love about this machete is that 
in order to draw it, you have to bring it dangerously close to your throat. And that's the real mark of a yeah. quality weapon. Yeah. Like, look at that. You do that drunk, you could really damage yourself. Yeah, that's probably yeah. why they had it for sale on Craigslist. <laughs> I, I bought that. The guy walked out of an alley, handed me that, threw my car, just handed it to my car. And I gave him $25. This is like a real story, you guys. You're laughing. It's not a bit. Not, no, that's... When you see a machete for sale on the Craigslist, you're like, I'm going to go try to buy this. You know, you know one thing immediately, and it's the person you're buying that machete from did not themselves come by it legally. No, God. That is a stolen machete. But it was in yeah. a package. Mm -hmm. That's a stolen well, machete. Yeah, or I was yeah. like... It, I, he walked off... Before I could ask him any follow-up questions. It is. Where it was like, how many do you have? <laughs> I, it's a fascinating for me to get into the head of somebody like goes to an REI, and of all of the different high-dollar items you could steal from an REI, picks like the worst price-to-size ratio. But I think that's just opportunity presented itself. <laughs> and now you have 14 machetes. <laughs> that happened to me, but all I did was start a podcast. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Billy... You don't know the subject today that we're going with. Uh, no. That's good. That's good. I have a question I'd like to, to ask you before I kind of lead into things. Um, and I, I hope it's okay to ask this in front of an intimate group of our friends. Sure. Billy, have you ever killed a man? <laughs> <laughs> On purpose. <laughs> no. No, I have not. But you've, you've thought about it. Like, we all, like, all, <laughs> like that's man. a male thing, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. not. Fuck off with that question. <laughs> <laughs> that is, you can't answer that. And we're recording this. I think there's like 180 witnesses. We have all their names. <laughs> have you ever thought about killing someone? If we're honest with ourselves, if we're if we're really if we're really being truthful tonight, I think most most men particularly, it, it, you know, you're in line at the bank and you're like, I don't like where what if a ninja came in, right? <laughs> you're at the McDonald's and you just like, if something happened, if the shit went down, like, could I could I be a badass and like oh, deal that with this way? situation? All the time, yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Never like if they weren't on this planet, this would help me out. <laughs> Never that. Never think that way. You said McDonald's. I thought you were going Trump there because we no. know how much he loves him some McDonald's. But he ain't <laughs> stepping foot in a McDonald's. That's no. true. Yeah, so I think it's a pretty normal thing to like wonder how you would react if like a situation required you to be a giant badass. Um, but you know, that fantasy isn't enough for everybody. Some people need to really commit to the fantasy that despite all evidence to the contrary, they're huge badasses. And over the last 20 years or so, there's a whole industry that's grown up of tactical gear and tactical oh, content and, and tactical a magazines. Goddamn sucker uh, for all this. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, uh, like, there's a bit of that. And I, I mean, I walked on the stage yeah. with it. Yeah. It's fine. Um, and I'm going to go, yeah. I, I don't dive. <laughs> So we're all familiar with kind of where the story has ended up in 2020, and today we're going to talk about the birth of this industry as embodied by a single periodical, Soldier of Fortune oh, magazine. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> yes. Man, I was so hoping you were going to say that. This is a good uh, magazine. Yeah. <laughs> you might want to hold on to that. No, I know. I know. And by good, I don't mean good. Yeah. I think 
Like we a virtue. Know. I mean, it's yeah. like, this is entertaining as fuck. Entertaining as fuck. It's I like, think Reddit is a magazine. You might be surprised by how many people this magazine got killed. Because it is a lot. That's ex- <laughs> even better. So, our story starts with a single man, Robert Brown. He was born on November 2nd, 1932, in Monroe, Michigan. And I've been able to find vanishingly little about his early life. Yeah, everything you just said is boring as hell. (laughs) (laughs) But he entered college in 1950, and at the time there was a draft on, and Brown saw some sort of military service as inevitable. He decided he'd rather be a fighter pilot than anything else, and he joined the Air Force ROTC to make that happen. So far, it all scans. Mm -hmm. Um, He wound up not being uh, doing well in college and was forced to transfer in 1953 to another university because, in his words... The dean and I agreed it was best I leave Michigan State. (laughs) (laughs) I've been on some of those discussions. (laughs) So due to a mix of his new college's policies and his bad eyesight, Brown gradually accepted that a a career as a fighter pilot was not in the cards. And instead, he joined the Marine Corps Reserve. But then uh, a military recruiter he calls a snake oil salesman convinced him to join the Army instead, saying that he would become a special agent in the (laughs) counterintelligence corps. Man, motherfucker, you got what you deserve. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so this was uh, obviously a bald-faced lie, as are most things that military recruiters uh, tell young men. <laughs> uh, but fantasizing of platinum blondes and Cadillac convertibles, Brown agreed, and he signed on the dotted line. What? Yeah. Movie? Did, you... did he ever watch? <laughs> like even the movies don't make it look great. No. No, he really thought that he was going to join the army and become James Bond. <laughs> But he was young and dumb. Uh, He gets smarter. So he enters the Army on October 1954, and he loves it. Uh, He's particularly taken with arms training uh, and getting to shoot guns a lot. And the whole experience of basic training convinces him that the draft is an awesome idea and should never have been discontinued. He's he's very emphatic about that. He's very prone to brainwashing. (laughs) It's very clear. Like, by the end of basic training, he's like, this is the best. Everyone should have to do this. (laughs) Like, even the, even the drill sergeant's like, oh, we got to watch him. <laughs> we did too good. So, once he graduates training, he is informed that this job as special agent uh, is, is not going to work out because it, it doesn't exist. It does, that we <laughs> yeah. Who told you? Was it? Oh, I know who told you that. He's funny. Instead, he's told that his job is actually going to be clerk analyst, which is essentially secretarial work. So it's, it's kind of right special. It's right secret agent. Yeah. <laughs> It's lateral. (laughs) (laughs) Not a change in money. So, Robert was profoundly bad at this job, and he failed the training course for it four times. You're really terrible at sitting at that desk. Yeah. (laughs) Keep standing. And he just fell down. So he, uh, it, he's admitted since that he uh, found the idea of doing secretarial work hateful. Uh, and this is what convinced him to drop out of that career track and go to officer candidate school as a way to escape the tedium of office work. He graduates. I just, just want to go s- tell people what to do. I can't handle this desk. I think I should be in charge of a lot of people's lives instead. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So... He graduates, uh, and he would later brag of two accomplishments at officer candidate school. Number one, he received more demerits than any other member of his class. And number two, he was the best shot with a heavy machine gun. (laughs) I was the angriest and the best at machine guns. (laughs) 
And that checks out. Yeah. <laughs> you can be a dick when you're good at the machine gun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really, all that matters is good at machine guns. Mm-hmm. I think I've, he figured I've said that, that for years. I'm good at machine gun. Mm-hmm. Fuck he, all you guys. He could have left the first It's part wild out. that we haven't had a presidential candidate run on that platform. <laughs> we got some months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Bloomberg could have come in and... (laughs) He's still got time. (laughs) So Brown's dreams of daring do in the army were initially cut short by his father's untimely death. Uh, death. He opted for a stateside job in Wisconsin, working what he calls a cushy desk job. He left active service in 1957 and spent the next few years in the Army Reserves, mostly participating in marksmanship competitions. He managed to sate some some of his desire for action when Fidel Fidel Castro launched his rebellion against the dictatorial rule of Fulgencio Batista. So this happens right as he gets out of the Army. And for a few months, Brown improbably became a pro-Castro activist, even purchasing and hiding an illegal machine gun with the goal of running weapons to Cuban rebels. In Wisconsin. (laughs) From Wisconsin. You know, the classic Wisconsin to Cuba flight Mm -hmm. path that everybody takes. Mm -hmm. The French connection. Yeah. They call Wisconsin (laughs) Big Cuba. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, eventually, he tricked his college's student newspaper into issuing him press credentials, and he spent a brief period of time in Havana, but failed to see any action. He was repeatedly invited by contacts he'd met in Havana to participate as a war correspondent in a number of revolutions throughout South America, but never quite managed to make it work out, mostly because he was afraid he'd get killed. Man, that really gets in the way of the secret agent work. It does. That would, that would be a bummer. If you had to like, go alone into a dangerous time, situation. Kill me. Yeah. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> I keep missing meetings. <laughs> it's a lot of anxiety, you guys. So he manages to get hired by the AP to interview a refugee Spanish general promising to overthrow Francisco Franco, Spain's dictator. What do you mean he man... Like, th- I mean, some there's some it places where like there's just refugee like, generals left and right, man. You just gotta... He sounds like Bean. <laughs> like he's just stumbling into all this stuff. That is kind of his life, actually. He's like, I was in Wisconsin, and I was like, I'm gonna go to Cuba for a minute. Mm-hmm. And people are like, okay, <laughs> Robert. So he, he writes an article based on his, his conversation with this uh, general. And it did well. Uh, and Brown struck up a friendly acquaintanceship with the general, who had helped to train Castro's guerrillas. So this guy gives Brown a copy of a book called 150 Questions for a Gorilla. And it's the, the militant <laughs> kind, not the... Yeah. It's a manual for like it's how so to... funny. <laughs> I just picked up Mal's book on guerrilla warfare, mm-hmm. and the first thing I thought was like, while I was reading it, I was like, so he taught gorillas to fight like this. <laughs> this is the dumbest joke, but it made me laugh for a good 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I haven't been able to start that book, because every time I do. <laughs> like, uh, so it's a manual for like how to wage an insurgent war, right? Um, so he gets a copy of this book from this general, and he instantly sees dollar signs, and he opens a publishing company to translate the book into English and sell it in the United States. So that's his, his first business. He's real venture. smart. Congo. Mm-hmm. That's where the most gorillas are. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Robert worked as a reporter for a little while, writing articles for Guns Magazine and similar publications. But as the Vietnam War <laughs> kicked off for the U.S. in the 1960s... Times were simpler then. Mm-hmm. What, you gonna make a magazine? What's it about? Guns. Guns. <laughs> I got a dirty one. It's called Jugs. <laughs> They really should have merged, I feel like, and I in own, 2020. Yeah. And I own the gas station. <laughs> 
So uh, the Vietnam War kicks off, and Robert Brown finds himself drawn back to his dream of experiencing combat. He rejoined active duty and became a Green Beret, serving from 1968 to 1969. <laughs> it was easier then. You're just saying stuff. <laughs> this is like a weird Mad Lib of like this dude's life. They didn't really. Because he was know. like he's bad at desk work, couldn't be a fighter pilot. Then he was like, then he west, went to Wisconsin, got really good at desk work, mm-hmm. and then he's like, fuck this, I'm going to Cuba and do some weird light spying. That's our show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, with all of these guys, it's an ability to pivot that makes them great. It's impressive. And he's a pivoter. So he pivots all the way to Vietnam and gets horribly wounded in 1969 in a mortar attack. Um, but not dead, he pivoted right at the last second. <laughs> <laughs> so he was pretty good at a soldier up until getting uh, wounded. Um, but he would, and it would eventually retire from the service as a lieutenant colonel. But sadly, for him at least, the Vietnam War did not end well for the United States. I'm sorry if that's a spoiler to anybody. Um, he returned home to a nation that widely considered the war he'd nearly died in to have been a colossal waste of money. Many protesters called soldiers like him baby killers, and Brown quickly recognized that he was part of a new generation of retired warrior who felt increasingly isolated from mainstream American society. See, World War II had been this like widely celebrated collective endeavor, but Korea and Vietnam weren't, and that left hundreds of thousands of veterans feeling like their service was neither appreciated nor understood. And a big chunk of those men, including Robert Brown, still found themselves drawn to stories of combat and daring do. In 1975, the same year that Vietnam War ended, Robert Brown found himself traveling around Africa and basically living as a war tourist, visiting combat zones just to hang out somewhere exciting. <laughs> <sighs> You never done that, Billy? I never thought that that's a thing. You're like, hey, I'm going to go watch a little bit of war for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Have I I ever told you about Iraqi margaritas, by the way? (laughs) Look, I get it. Like, I used to not understand, like, people watching the Civil War, like, from a field. But now, like, I understand, like, some people just like to fight. So you just go, like, yeah, we're going to watch them do it. But the way he's doing it is not cool. (laughs) So while he's touring around and just hanging out in war zones, Robert Brown befriends some mercenaries on their way to Oman to put down an insurrection for the Sultan. Spirit Air? Spirit Air, yeah. Mm -hmm. So meeting these guys gives Robert Brown the idea to write the Oman Ministry of Defense, inquiring about taking the job himself. And they send him a contract, just like a blank contract to be a mercenary for the government of Oman. And He's like, this checks out. Well, no. He, he recognizes immediately anyone who's just going to send me a, become a mercenary letter, sight unseen in the mail. I probably don't want to fight for that army. Not a great idea. But he has a smarter idea for what to do with it. So... <laughs> Go on. <laughs> he takes out ads in a series of gun magazines reading, Want to be a mercenary in the Middle East? Send $5. <laughs> All y'all think this through. <laughs> this was not internet where you're like, blah, 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 click. That's hilarious. That was, this is going to take some time. This is some errands involved. It's like four to six weeks to get the letter there. Yeah. 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 And then you got to wait for the money to come back. Mm-hmm. He thought all this through. He's a smart man. <laughs> so <laughs> when people would send him $5, he would just Xerox the contract he'd received and mail it to them. <laughs> Brown later recalled... I'm not mad at him at all. No, no, no. This is kind of brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't get to where he's a bastard yet. <laughs> so Brown later recalled, I got scores of replies. Newsweek <laughs> spotted this and did an article on my ad, and it went through the roof. I was getting replies from people in Bangladesh, Greece. I was in the army in Turkey for five years. I want to be a mercenary. I realized I was on to something. <laughs> Hell yeah, you are. Yeah. It ain't good. It's not a good thing you're on to, no. And it's unlikely that any of Brown's clients wound up actually fighting for Oman. One assumes most men who volunteer to join a war effort based on an ad in a magazine are not particularly enticing specimens of soldiery. Um, but the financial success... <laughs> yeah, I'll be there in a couple of years. <laughs> the financial success of the endeavor convinces Brown that there's a lot of money to be made in playing to the dream in every man's heart that he might, in the right circumstances, be a fucking badass. So this is the thing he realizes. And so Robert Brown uses the $10,000 he made scamming gun nuts to fund the creation of a new magazine, Soldier of Fortune. That was the appropriate applause. Yeah, yeah. that was the right amount of applause that for that. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, one gun fell out. <laughs> it just fell apart. <laughs> the evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. 
All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So, uh, Brown's stated goal with this magazine was to rehabilitate the image of the warrior in American society. (laughs) (laughs) Man, he's so foolish. I I love him at this point. I like him a lot. Yeah. And Soldier of Fortune magazine probably would have just been a blip on the radar uh, if it weren't for a real stroke of marketing genius by Robert Brown. Rather than portraying or angling it as a magazine for military veterans, of which there are only a few, and even a smaller number who glorify what actually happens in war, he fashioned Soldier of Fortune as the Journal of Professional Adventurers, a magazine for mercenaries and people who think it would be cool to be a mercenary. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like hiking? (laughs) And pretending. So, well, they won't let you get boys' life anymore. <laughs> so, uh, then as now, there were at most a couple thousand English-speaking works in the world who were actually mercenaries. But Brown's real target was not hard-bitten mercenaries. It was aging baby boomers who thought they probably could have been hard-bitten mercenaries if they hadn't gotten that girl pregnant back in 62. Uh, <laughs> all that mud at Woodstock or I'd have been <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> Tore some ligaments doing fucking. (laughs) Here's how Mike Royko of the Chicago Tribune described the magazine in 1984. It's directed at professional mercenaries, men who will fight for pay and those who want to hire them. But since mercenaries represent only a tiny portion of the reading population, the magazine tries to broaden its appeal to include those who might be called war fans. And they don't get their work through (laughs) a magazine. (laughs) Yeah, so the first ever issue of Soldier of Fortune features a glossy color picture of a soldier with a rifle behind a barbed wire fence with a red sun setting in the background. The whole image was cast in a green tint as if being viewed through night vision goggles. Articles included... (laughs) You're going to like this, Billy. Underwater knife fighting techniques. (laughs) Lunge. (laughs) Lunge again. (laughs) Breathe. And it, it tells you kind of where I am on this spectrum that I get understanding like, yeah, I want to know what it's like to fight with a knife in the water, but I recognize that having techniques applied to it is ridiculous, right? Like, Do it better. <laughs> so in addition to urban knife fighting techniques, or underwater knife fighting techniques, sorry, urban street survi- survival part one. I'm going to guess we can all assume how racist that article was, right? Like I don't need to like... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then an article titled, American Mercenaries in Africa. Now, that last article, I'm going to guess the person who said, huh, knows where we're going with this. I don't like it. It was a feature about the conflict in Rhodesia. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about Rhodesia right now. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) I was having fun. What do you know about Rhodesia? 
I don't know much, and judging That's by good. their reaction, <laughs> I wish I could leave. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, this is a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing bad has happened. Billy, it can't all be underwater knife fighting. It can't all be underwater knife fighting. But why can't? You really can only do that once. Oh. <laughs> as a general rule. <laughs> so, <laughs> Rhodesia was a white supremacist state in modern-day Zimbabwe that broke away from the British Empire in 1965 <laughs> over the issue of whether or not black people should be able to vote. The 3% of the nation that was white did not think they should. <laughs> Okay, from a logic standpoint, if you want power, I can see where they're like, we've been so shitty to you guys for so long. Uh, (laughs) Shit. What if y'all can't vote? (laughs) Nope, fuck. I feel like 3% enough for us to keep a lid on this thing, (laughs) this wanting to vote thing. So, <laughs> just Jesus. I'm going to read a quote to you, Billy, from Soldier of Fortune magazine describing the Rhodesian conflict, and they have a different take on it than I do. In 1965, the Rhodesian government got together with the British government to try to sort out a way to end the war that was smoldering and about to explode. Ian Smith was the governor of Rhodesia and leader of the Rhodesia Front. The insurgents were on the move. The 1965 talks accomplished nothing. What the Brits wanted was for the blacks to get the vote. Well, one man, one okay. vote. Of course, that would mean the blacks would get into power. So the white Rhodesians unilaterally implemented the Universal Declaration of Independence in 1965. So that's how Soldier of Fortune magazine But then they things. wanted their country. <laughs> they and wanted we to like, vote. No. <laughs> you can't have your country. So, have you not read history? <laughs> So uh, a lot of Rhodesia's black residents decide that we should probably overthrow the government, which is a reasonable conclusion to reach given the circumstances. Um, yeah. <laughs> I bet they all came together at once and been like, hey! hey. <laughs> <laughs> the British Empire is on the reasonable side of things. I think these guys might be really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> We've never had to cheer for them before. Uh-oh. You, uh-uh. So, uh, having lived under a, an oppressive capitalist system their whole lives, most of these rebels decided communism sounded pretty good. Uh, the USSR and China wound up backing separate guerrilla armies, and the two fought each other sometimes, but they put enough pressure on the embattled white minority that things t- began to get very dire for the Rhodesian government. This racist nation's problems were compounded by the fact that virtually the whole world, except for South Africa, slammed Rhodesia with sanctions. As life in this tiny... Why why not South Africa? (laughs) You know, Billy, I've never heard anyone theorize on that. (laughs) I'll look it up later. We'll look it up later, yeah. As life in the tiny landlocked country grew more difficult for a large ch- uh, grew more difficult, a large chunk of the white population fled the country, mostly for South Africa. <laughs> Stuck hey, between- you guys. <laughs> I know a place we can go. <laughs> Stuck- Getting there is going to be interesting. <laughs> Stuck between a rock and a hard place, the Rhodesian government decided to turn their national struggle into a cause celeb for the racist right wing worldwide. Of course, they didn't frame it as a racist crusade to stop black self-determination. Instead, they billed it as a fight against the encroachment of communism. Prime Minister Ian Smith called his nation the ultimate bastion against communism on the African continent. 
and this worked pretty well. Mainstream American Republicans t- tended to embrace the idea. No way. William F. Buckley. <laughs> William F. Buckley. <laughs> <laughs> found it organized the Friends of Rhodesian Independence campaign. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He just forgot his mask. Just that day. a lot of thoughts and <laughs> prayers. <Yeah. laughs> this campaign worked to spread propaganda to Americans about what a cool place Rhodesia was. But no single <laughs> public fuckers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> William this F. Like Buckley. Just <laughs> yeah. Historically motherfuckers. Yeah. What's your legacy? I'm a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> And I made a lot of money being a motherfucker. But I don't spend it like you think I would. (laughs) So, Rhodesia had a lot of support in the worldwide right wing, but no single publication did as much to popularize the Rhodesian cause as Soldier of Fortune magazine. Starting in 1975, they ran a series of lurid articles about the American volunteers already fighting in Rhodesia. Interviews with these men focused on the failures of the U.S. to stop communism from getting a foothold in Africa, which was heightened after congressional Democrats stopped the CIA from aiding fascists in Angola against the socialist regime. One mercenary in that first Soldier of Fortune issue complained, The West isn't doing its job. The U.S. especially isn't doing its duty. If they're too scared to fight the communists, then people like me have to act independently. I consider it my duty to fight in Rhodesia. After Vietnam and Angola, we can't afford to lose any more countries. I ain't allowed to kill in America. <laughs> Let me go over and do some killing. <laughs> so while Soldier of Fortune was smart enough to not throw out any racial slurs, the racism in its Rhodesian coverage was pretty obvious. At one point, a mercenary was quoted as saying, what we have here is an ideal core of white people who are able to raise the standard of living among the Africans. Without us, conditions will decline rapidly. Yeah, but you guys, he didn't say slurs. <laughs> he didn't say slurs. Didn't say slurs. So. I bet he has strong opinions about the fact that that's free speech and he should be able to, mm-hmm. but... <laughs> <laughs> Let me communicate my ideas! <laughs> After Vietnam, the U.S. had probably the highest population of unemployed combat veterans in the world. A few of these men joined the Rhodesian fighting effort and rose to high levels in its military establishment. But most volunteers were far from hardened operators. (laughs) Instead, they were folks who'd missed out on their chance to fight in Vietnam, but wanted desperately to experience combat. (laughs) Oh, I wish we had videos. (laughs) Yeah, I, yeah, you kind of do, just, right? Yes, just like F Troop. <laughs> <laughs> so for these men, Soldier of Fortune published a series of articles written by Major Nick Lamprecht, the chief recruiting officer for the Rhodesian Army. He provided step-by-step <laughs> advice for how they could apply to join and be flown out to the country to be inducted into the Army as conscripts. Lamprecht promised that the work would be difficult but rewarding. Yeah. Sometimes there's a delay when I have to switch pieces of paper. Oh, what's that? That normally happen? gets edited out by Daniel, so let's give a shout out to him. Yeah, that's right. And by Chris, who's not here tonight, but is also great. Yeah, let's give it up for Chris, too. So. Y'all don't like Chris, okay. <laughs> this is Nick Lamprecht. Rhodesia has many things to offer good Rhodesian beer, a friendly populace. <laughs> and what I would Already, describe- stop it. Oh, you motherfucker. God damn it. (laughs) And what I would describe as a free and easy, unhurry ways of life. Lots of wide open spaces. And they're filled with some of those friendly locals with sniper rifles shooting at us for inexplicable reasons. (laughs) They hate these cans. Yeah. They they hate these cans of good Rhodesian beer. (laughs) (laughs) 
For years, Soldier of Fortune ran glossy recruiting articles with full-page spreads featuring the elite Rhodesian light infantry and Celus scouts locked in glorious combat. Some 400 men were eventually induced to join to fight by Soldier of Fortune magazine. And as you might expect, they were not very good at it. <laughs> Most Rhodesian... <laughs> it's hot in Africa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hot. <laughs> Most Rhodesian volunteers were people whose lives in the U.S. were going badly enough that they off- opted to join the army of That's a racist pariah thinking. state like, How bad is based your life on magazine like, I'm ads. I'm doing this yeah. shit tomorrow. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Whatever I'm doing feels worse than joining the army based on a magazine ad. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been there several times where I was like, What's in the back of this magazine? The guys that were that saw a glossy magazine ad and it said beer were not great fighters. No, no, not not ideal soldiers. No. Wow. (laughs) So, uh, in 1979, one reporter noted. The majority found the routine too rough to to last more than a few months. The desertion rate among American citizens who have joined the Rhodesian Army over the past two years is estimated to run about 80%. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty great. (laughs) But those 20%, I don't want to meet those. No, no, no. They're like, this is... There's some legitimately scary guys among the 20%. Yeah, they're like, this feels right. (laughs) Yeah. And, of course, a good number of the American volunteers did not survive their time in Rhodesia. John Allen Coey. Yeah, that's fine to clap. You clap that. (laughs) 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 A lot of claps for dead Rhodesians. That's what I like to hear. No. Yeah, I don't know. John Allen Coey, a medic from Cleveland, Ohio, joined based on a Soldier of Fortune article and died in combat almost as soon as he arrived in country. Soldier it's dangerous over there. <laughs> Soldier of Fortune published a hagiographic article quoting him as saying this. Since coming to Rhodesia, I've often heard people remark that it's inevitable for the country and all of Southern Africa to follow the winds of change and go the same way as other former colonies to the north. This is rubbish and only di- indicates a lack of fighting spirit, guts, and the will to rule a civilization built by better men. <laughs> what that last part mean? <laughs> he was being vague. I don't know that they couldn't ask him a follow-up question because, you know. Yeah, well, because yeah. a better man got him. Yeah, better man got him. <laughs> <laughs> so, Soldier of Fortune articles on Rhodesia regu- uh, rarely made blatant lies. It was a lot easier to just ignore facts that didn't reinforce their narrative. In one piece, they noted. <laughs> that is better. Yeah, it it's is. a lot easier. You can lie. It makes everything easier. The Facts unrivaled Sela Scouts, the covert elite fo- special force regiment of a thousand that consisted of black and white, with a majority of blacks, were credited with gathering spot-on intelligence for the regular army. And it is true that the Rhodesian armed forces were mostly black, but Soldier of Fortune neglected to mention that only white men were allowed to be officers. <laughs> yeah. ignoring... What are y'all shocked about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is consistent. <laughs> By ignoring the uncomfortable reality of Rhodesia, Soldier of Fortune succeeded in painting a picture of a gallant lost cause fight. And it's not wildly different from this, from the lost cause narrative of the Confederacy. Actual articles from real journalists who visited Rhodesia, like this 1979 Washington Post article, made the reality clear. Quote, 
The first impressions are of the rural South I knew as a boy in the 1930s. Black maids and houseboys earning 20 to $60 a month fetch and bow, saying master and boss. Black laborers working for 12 to $20 a month plus rations cluster in grass, uh, grass huts on the white farmer's land, like the Mississippi sharecroppers of the remembered pass. past. They are like children, a housewife says. You have to do everything for them. You have to stand over them to get anything done. It's more trouble than it's worth sometimes, but they are very happy people. It's not like South Africa. A young woman asks if we have a dishwasher, a clothes washer, and a dryer. She laughs. You know what we call them here? And then she says what is essentially the N-word. Thank you for coming to the comedy show. (laughs) This is the only part of history that's like this. Yeah, no, everything else is actually pretty great, yeah. The Rhodesian Bush War ended in 1979 when rebels succeeded in blowing up the nation's entire strategic fuel reserve. (laughs) Probably shouldn't have kept it all in the one place, huh? <laughs> Not a great call. <laughs> Especially on beer night. Yeah. <laughs> At final toll, more than 1,100 Rhodesian soldiers died, along with roughly 10,000 rebels and more than 20,000 civilians. Uh, it is unlikely that the few hundred mercenary soldier of fortune induced to join had a ma- measurable impact on the conflict. No but they did an awful lot to influence how Rhodesia has gone on to be remembered by racists around the world. You remember that Soldier of Fortune article I quoted from earlier that talked about how weird it was that the blacks wanted to vote? Unfortunately. Now, when would you guess that article was written, Billy? I don't want to guess. <laughs> Probably like the 70s, right? Probably? No. It was 2012. <laughs> You guys not been following the news? Yeah. <laughs> Some of y'all need to go home and Google the news. Yeah. And you just, you're going to be like, what in the fuck? We should do something. <laughs> we should. We need to do something. Yeah. Maybe find us a strategic well written. No, I'm not going to. No, probably shouldn't make statements like that here. Yeah. <clears throat> so. <laughs> I should note, before we get on to the more fun, wacky stuff, that three years after that article was published in 2015, Dylan Roof walked into a black church in Charleston and shot nine people to death. His stated goal was to provoke a race war, and he left behind a manifesto titled, The Last Rhodesian. Yup. Cool. Yep. There's a whole Rhodesia chunk of YouTube, too. You do not want to read the comments. No, no, you don't. So. Did, did you... <laughs> Did you read the comments? Yeah, it's not good, man. Yeah, I figured you did. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, most of Soldier of Fortune's argument in favor of the Rhodesian government came from the fact that the government it replaced was ruled by Robert Mugabe, a Hitler-loving monster who killed a lot of people. Mugabe was absolutely terrible, and there's no arguing with that. But the argument Robert Brown would make that the Rhodesian government was the only thing that held Zimbabwe back from tyranny was nonsense. Because the reality is that Mugabe didn't take control of the guerrilla forces fighting Rhodesia's government until the previous commander was assassinated by Rhodesian forces in the late 70s. Mugabe rose to power because there was a civil war, and he was good at fighting it. If Rhodesia had transitioned into a democracy in 1965, Mugabe wouldn't have come to power. SOF's articles also ignored the brutal realities of the Rhodesian regime, which jailed peaceful black political leaders en masse and employed a torture technique on them known as skull bashing, which probably shouldn't be referred to as a technique. It's not a technique if it's just in the name. It's just what you're doing to them. That's not a technique. That's not something you need to learn. That's just... Human instinct. (laughs) 
While the Rhodesian Bush War was a disaster for humanity, it was a great time for Robert Brown and the writers of Soldier of Fortune magazine. They got to take all sorts of little trips to the country and bring in guns and take part in gunfights because, like, they were helping bring in soldiers. So it's like, sure, you can go, you can go shoot at strangers in the middle of the, the, the savannah with us. Like, absolutely. So it was like a really fun time for them. And it was a perfect situation for Brown. He got to play soldier whenever he wanted and then head home when things got really scary. And he didn't have to hang around for strategic oil reserves blowing up and the like. It's like a rich guy hunter. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. It's mm-hmm. like those dudes that go up and like, my friend does it in Alaska. He tracks bears and they get the thing. And then he's like, I literally just do everything. And they come over and they pull the trigger. It's he, like it's good for conservation. He like yeah. explained it to me. He's like, but fuck those motherfuckers forever, also. And I was like, I, I was like, I'm so conflicted. I don't know how to feel. He's scary. He hunts bears. You know what I mean? It's like it's like volunteerism, but but with war. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. So that that's what the Soldier of Fortune writers get up to while this is all going on. Uh, and the whole uh, performance did great things for Soldier of Fortune subscription numbers. By the end of the war, more than a hundred thousand people were signed up for the magazine. So it turns out this is a good business. Ah, uh, yay! <laughs> capitalism. Don't worry, nothing like this ever happened again. Repeatedly. We uh, fixed it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We learned our lessons. <laughs> a brief FBI investigation into whether or not the magazine was breaking the law by soliciting mercenaries also helped drum up interest in Soldier of Fortune. Okay, so, that yeah. is a good question I've been having in the back. I was like, yo, can you just do that? Yes, you can. And here's why. See, <laughs> the men who joined the Rhodesian military were conscripted, so they became regular soldiers, so they weren't mercenaries, so it wasn't illegal to induce people to do this. Uh, that makes sense, right? Everybody's on board? I love a loophole, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? No, I, I got, I'm not a mercenary by loophole. Yeah. And so, as the 1970s rolled to an end, Robert Brown continued to send his writers off to little wars around the world. He focused primarily on struggles between communist and anti-communist forces, like the fighting in Angola. Brown was canny enough not to solicit mercenaries directly this time, but he did allow his readers to place classified ads in the magazines with no restrictions whatsoever. Oh, those are good. <laughs> yeah. You guys ever been on the internet? That's what that is. <laughs> One of these ads caught the eye of a con artist, ne- or what, uh, the fact that Soldier of Fortune had this uh, classified section, so caught awesome. the eye of a con artist named David Bufkin, a former... <laughs> I know, right? Like, what's in a name? You know David Bufkin is a man who starts like, like you a just mercenary through con. Yeah. Soldier of Fortune, like, I got a fucking idea. Well... Prior to finding that, uh, he was a crop duster, um, and he decided that crop dusting had gotten old, and he would rather be a mercenary uh, recruiter. So he started putting up ads in local newspapers and Soldier of Fortune magazine, trying to raise 100 mercenaries to fight against the communists in Angola. To make his case seem more legit, he lied and claimed that he'd been given an $80,000 contract by the CIA for this. (laughs) Lit checks out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, a few dozen would-be warriors reached out to Bufkin, but as one actual mercenary later recalled, Bufkin obviously had no funds available. He operated out of motels. He had no office. Potential recruits had to pay their own travel expenses. It was definitely a shoestring operation. <laughs> now, if I'm going to go fight for your country, you've got to pay for me to fly out there. Nope. Like, you nope. notice how he said motels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. going to give you a lot of exposure, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's going to really help your career. (laughs) 
So a few very dumb men did agree to join. Yeah, they Former did. CIA officer George Bacon read this ad on Soldier of Fortune magazine and joined the war effort, which the CIA does a lot of shady shit, but let's not pretend they're smarter than they are. <laughs> okay? See, that's someone that got... He programmed and it's not right. No. And then he thought he was done and he's like, No, I read the thing. It's still happening. I'm in the CIA again. They're like, Oh, <laughs> fuck. We fucked bacon up, didn't we? Yeah, we did some damage to bacon. Oh. He might have been one of the ones they gave too much acid to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so, like many Rhodesian volunteers, bacon was killed basically immediately. <laughs> yeah. Since he and his fellow anti communist fighters were vastly outnumbered by tens of thousands of Cuban soldiers. <laughs> So, you think there was like a last second thing where he was like, this isn't the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? This doesn't feel like the CIA. This isn't. Oh, no, it's up dead. I don't know. You know, the Bay of Pigs wasn't that long ago, so this kind of does feel like the it CIA. Does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's he gets over. He's like, this has the CIA written all over it. Yeah. <laughs> this is a fucking mess. Yeah, there's 30 of us and a lot of Cuban army guys. Yeah, this kind of feels like the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Gearhart, a 34-year-old Vietnam veteran in financial distress, also replied. His wife told him this was a terrible idea, but Buffkin managed to convince him, and soon he found himself over in Eagle Angola. Is that bitch. <laughs> Come to Africa. <laughs> he was captured instantly without ever getting into You're combat. Goddamn right he was. <laughs> His wife and family begged President Gerald Ford to do something, but if you know one thing about Gerald Ford... No, no, no. Not unless you're Richard Nixon. So, the government of Angola... <laughs> the government, I think they made that dirty. Yeah. <laughs> that was a weird reaction you got. So, the government of Angola sentenced him to death and executed him with a handful of other mercenaries in 1976. He and George were not the first Soldier of Fortune readers to die as a mag result of the magazine's classic classified ad section, and they would not be the last. <laughs> we have a legacy to uphold here. <laughs> now, Billy, I found a copy of the magazine from the year of our Lord, 1980, and I'd like to read you a handful of the different ads in it. Are you... You, you want to hear I'm some excited. Of yeah, this, this, this is... Don't worry. No more depressing racism. Some depressing murder. And some depressing racism. Yeah. But entertaining murder probably at the end. Entertaining murder for sure. I don't sure. know if you yeah. guys have noticed that, but well, there's been a pattern no, where you guys are like, no, oh, no. and then like somebody else dies and you guys are like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a whiplash episode. We're all over the place tonight. So, ad number one. Male, 25 years old. Five foot nine, 135 pounds. Desire security position, any location. Excellent marksman and speaks fair German. I'm antisocial and prefer working alone. <laughs> That's like the Vegas, like, just let me kill a German dude. Yeah. You need a German killed, I'll do it. I'm quiet. Oh, no, we speak. Oh, oh, I, I, was, I read something else and speaks German and likes to shoot, but. And antisocial. Oh. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of bad people in this magazine. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> the next ad. I just thought he was trying to help. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I get it. That's bad. It took me a minute, and I'm glad it did. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. It took 11 years to get to this sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. So the next ad. Ex-CIA attache Racist. seeks area in U.S. to Showing fulfill to purpose. The curve on this one. It actually does. <laughs> but like, like Proud Boy kind of racist. So seeks different. area in U.S. to fulfill purpose of pro-Western ideals and their success. <laughs> Trade crafts many. Cut out, sanitization, sanctification, playback, disinformation, bag jobs, false flag, legends, peeps and sounds, sneakies, and sisters available. I don't know what sisters means in this context. (laughs) I bet he'd use the same thing on his dating profile Mm -hmm. today. Yeah. No, yeah. 30 years later, and this is just an okay Cupid. Yeah. Yeah. Sneakies. Mm hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna look I gotta that read up you later. the end of this ad, Billy. 
former agent in place, qualified in counter ops, Sari, brief debrief war planning, interrogator, 223 and 308 arms, dead serious inquiries only. Contact Microdata Systems of Huntington Beach, California. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't want any bullshit. The next ad. I live in Orange County. It's pretty chill. Yeah. <laughs> Madman's Book of Formulas. How to make step-by-step goodies like knockout drops, explosives, silencers, poisons, letter bomb, and many others. <laughs> <laughs> you need to know how to make say? a letter bomb? <laughs> knockout drops. I bet they're good. <laughs> I bet they work. I bet that's where Cosby got his. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. It was probably a real doctor you got. Come on. on. And the last little (laughs) ad we're going to read, Billy. Wanted patriots, especially veterans, who see the coming national crises and desire to be prepared. Write for free information to Christian Patriots Defense League. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. So so we've moved on to Christian Mingle is what you're saying? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Farmers only. (laughs) I do. Whenever I see farmers only, I can't imagine someone saying the name of that service without holding a gun. Yeah. No, no, I think the people that came up with that were like, yeah. Now... The slogan for Soldier of Fortune magazine, displayed in vibrant color on a poster in their Boulder, Colorado office, was, Killing is our business, and business is good. Actually, our business is a magazine, (laughs) And we mostly get people killed. This sounds so much cooler than just, you know, we do a lot of ink. Yeah. Writing. We're all fat. (laughs) And I, I have to say, though, like, the fact that their business is killing and it's good, was not as untrue as you'd think. Because throughout the early 1980s, Soldier of Fortune did a brisk business in selling ads to contract killers. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Backpage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's wild because like they kind of invented the dark web before the dark web. Yeah, that's web. what I was thinking. But while all of the, mer- the hitmen on the dark web are just FBI agents, <laughs> like this, this actually happened. Like Real people did murders through these guys. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to quote now from a media... Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) I'll be getting people in trouble here. I'm going to quote now from a Media Matters write-up. One of them, Knoxville, Tennessee... uh, One of them, a Knoxville, Tennessee nightclub operator and former prison guard named Richard Michael Savage, said that he received 30 to 40 calls a week after he placed this ad in the June 1985 issue of the magazine. Gun for hire! 37-year-old professional mercenary desires jobs. Vietnam veteran, discreet and very private. Bodyguard, courier, and other special skills. All jobs considered. Which is a nice way of saying I'll kill people. I'll kill them. Yeah. I'm from Tennessee. (laughs) I'll kill somebody. (laughs) That was one of the ads. (laughs) I'm from Tennessee. I'll kill somebody. People don't understand, like, the volunteers. They think Mm -hmm. that's our nickname. No, that's because whenever there was a kit, like, war or anything, every Tennessean is like, well, it's okay to go kill people there? (laughs) I'll be there. (laughs) I don't give a shit which side. It's just something I'm good at. And the Tennessee mercenaries doesn't have the ring to it. No. 
that volun because you got to sell that shit. You know, mm-hmm. we're learning. You know what I mean? So. Uh, one of the people who called uh, Richard Savage wanted to recruit a small army to raid a gold mine in Alaska. <laughs> you just go to a bar in Alaska. There. Yeah, it's it's really it is not hard to find no. armed men looking for work there. He's like, you guys, who's got a gun? <laughs> Everybody? Oh, you brought them. <laughs> Follow me. <laughs> That's it. I'll be I, there May first. Another caller pitched him on a plot to steal an army payroll in South America. And (laughs) based on its interview uh, with a friend of Richard Savage, who was in contact with him during this whole period, People Magazine reported this in 1986. Quote, Yet another wanted to raid Nicaragua and promised to supply guns, camouflage clothing, rubber boats, and $50,000 for each mercenary when the raid was completed. Savage was enthusiastic about every hair... It's a good good deal. It's a good deal. I'd do it. Yeah, sure. Why not? (laughs) You don't have to complete the mission. No. You get the money, get the fuck out of it. Savage was enthusiastic about every harebrained scheme he heard, but ultimately was persuaded to concentrate on murder. So, if the caller sounded discreet, Savage would ask for, round trip, for a round-trip airline ticket and $1,000. The two would meet face-to-face, then feel each other out until each was certain of the other's credentials. It's a good business to be in, getting paid $1,000 just to talk about killing a guy. That's not against the law, probably. <laughs> anyway, I got a new business idea, Billy. <laughs> I think D.C. is the place for that. Yep. <laughs> In a way, Robert... Yeah, oh, sorry. I just gave that out a little earlier. So, um, Come on, Robert. I know, I know. I'm a fucking hack and a fraud. So, Savage <laughs> took on a job to kill Richard Brown, uh, an Atlanta man. He and two triggermen, also recruited through Soldier of Fortune magazine, ambushed Brown and his teenage son with a Mac 11. They killed Brown and wounded his boy. Four months after this, Savage was hired to kill Anita Spearman of Palm Beach, Florida. He subcontracted the hit out to yet another Soldier of Fortune reader. Yeah. Listen, I got a lot going on. Oh, right yeah. <laughs> a guy named Put Dutre. another ad in, I'm going to find somebody to work for me. So Savage and the guy that he subcontracted were paid $20,000 for the hit by Spearman's husband, his, himself a big fan of Soldier of Fortune magazine. Another hitman. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. Um, Would you murder my wife? I'm a wife? little nervous. I've always wanted to do this. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm a little starstruck. I'll get used to it. Uh, here's the money. <laughs> Another... This is her. She's right here. <laughs> she is in the sh- car. Should I bring her in? I don't know. Another hitman was Texas trucker John Hearn. In 1984, he ran an ad in four issues of the magazine, looking for high-risk assignments, U.S. or or overseas. So many people called Hearn that he had to hire an answering service to handle all the demand. He estimated that 90% of his callers wanted him to commit some sort of crime, ranging from bombings to jailbreakings to simple assault. He received, he says, three to five contract murder offers every single day, which says a lot about the readers of Soldier of Fortune magazine. (laughs) Finally. Yeah. In February 1985, Hearn took on the job of murdering Sandra Black. Her husband paid him ten thousand dollars to shoot his wife to death. How do you decide the first one if you're getting that many? Uh, you know, that's a very good question. I would love to ask him that. Same like, with that other dude. You get mm-hmm. like I like. He was like, listen, they were all great offers, but mm-hmm. I got in this to do murder. Yeah. Um, you know, Billy, a big part of, of success when you do what you want for a living is figuring out how to say no. You know, it's a struggle. 
It is. I, I sympathize with I have no problem saying no. <laughs> so, uh, Richard said... Oh, yeah. Um, so, Hearn was eventually caught and tried, um, and he assi- insisted that he never would have gotten start as a hitman, if, started as a hitman if it weren't for Soldier of Fortune magazine. <laughs> what a sentence. Richard Savage was also caught by the law. He, too, squealed on Soldier of Fortune magazine, and suddenly a deluge of news coverage hit the magazine. Robert Brown denied any responsibility for the deaths. He ordered his executive editor to make this statement. We're as culpable as any newspaper which accepts an ad from a used car salesman and doesn't go out to check the condition of the brakes. <laughs> Same thing. Air tight. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it's amazing. Do you think they had a meeting like, we're going to go with this one? Yeah. <laughs> oh, they must have workshopped the shit out of that. <laughs> so we're going to go with the used car thing? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. All right, boss. All right. I'm glad we all got guns. <laughs> Still, Brown was wise enough to stop running ads for murderers in 1986. If he felt any guilt over all the deaths, he did not show it. Writing in a 1986 editorial, For the last decade, I have hunted terrorists with the Rhodesian African rifles and fired up a Russian fort in Afghanistan with the Mujahideen. Between firefights, takeovers, and insurgencies, I managed to put out a magazine. I'm going to kick him in the balls. Yeah. <laughs> He also managed to get sued by Richard Brown's sons for his role in their father's murder. They were awarded $4.3 million in civil judgments, w- w- judgments, which was upheld by the U.S. Court of Appeals in 1992. The New York Times wrote this about the case. The 11th Circuit panel said, however, that while the advertisement in the Texas case was fashionably innocuous and ambiguous in its message, Mr. Savage's advertisement clearly conveyed that he was ready, willing, and able to use his gun to commit crimes. <laughs> yeah. I got that. I got yeah, what he was I, I getting feel at. Like when... A couple other people got that too, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so... not good at codes either. <laughs> Brown wound up settling with the Braun family for $200,000. When he was interviewed about this later, in 2016, he said this, They really tried the magazine, not the cases. Two guys meet through the magazine. They have a friendly relationship for six months. They don't talk about anything illegal. But then six months later, they agree to commit this horrendous crime. And I'm a dick. <laughs> well, if they meet up in a bar six months later, they say, let's rob a bank. Should the bartender be held liable? It was total crap. Well, he, he's good I at mean, knowing the which things are the same. Uh, like the bar was like a bartender, like a bar for people that rob mm-hmm. banks. Yeah, if it then was. Then the a- bartender would probably be like, the police would be like, yo, I feel like the booze was just a. And the bartender would be like, you got me. Yeah, if instead of checking IDs, the bar required you to plan to murder someone's wife in order to enter, like then we, then the comparison would be valid. Mm-hmm. I will say that. And that's an Applebee's. You just yeah, that, that is an Applebee's. <laughs> and some Waffle Houses. <laughs> Not the good ones. Yeah. So, from that point on, the Soldier of Fortune classified ad section turned to slightly more licit fare. They sold mail-order brides... <laughs> <laughs> Bounty hunter training manuals. There's no manuals. victim. <laughs> also, no victim to bounty hunters. <laughs> All of a sudden, I got real serious. Yeah. Fuck you guys. <laughs> That's how you treated that one. <laughs> they sold mail order brides, bounty hunter training manuals, secrets of the ninja lessons, <laughs> old Nazi equipment. Functional machine what guns. What does that mean? <laughs> I think you know what it means. I know Billy. what it means. Yeah. 
as well as silencers and sniper rifles. <laughs> they just send you a potato. Yeah. <laughs> Soldier of Fortune also did a brisk business in selling the kind of t-shirts that are all too common in randomly nope, generated nope, Facebook ads nope. today. I do not want to know what the t-shirts oh, yeah. say. Nope. Stop it. Shirts with slogans like, Nope. Happiness is a confirmed kill. There are few social programs that cannot be solved by the proper application of high explosives. And the ever-popular, kill them all and let God sort them That's out. That's just a good shirt. That's just a good saying. <laughs> yes, we have Robert Brown to thank for launching the bafflingly violent t-shirt industry, which by my rough count provides roughly 60% of Facebook's operating revenue today. So... Mark Kill all, let God yeah. sort them out. I can see your belly, sir. <laughs> Soldier of Fortune also contributed to the birth of the needlessly aggressive sticker industry, selling door stickers labeled... Lab- now I'm mad. <laughs> Is there life after death? Trespass here and find out. And never mind the dog, beware of owner. And of course, bumper stickers like... The only way they'll get my gun is to pry it from my cold, dead hands. And the irony of that one. So, Robert... (laughs) Robert Milch wrote uh, Red Dawn, classic movie. There's a very famous scene in the beginning when the Soviets are invading, where, like, you see a guy with a... They get my gun when they pry it from my cold, dead hands, lying dead behind his truck with a forty-five. Robert Milch was the subject of, like, a ten-page spread, like, article in Soldier of Fortune magazine. (laughs) It's just fun. It's just a good time. It's a good time. <sighs> Boulder's a nice place, yeah, too. It is a nice place. Uh, why nice is town. he? He went there for college and likes it. He went to college in Boulder? Yeah, he went to the University of Colorado. How do you go there and then be like, I'm going to be a professional Well, killer. it was a different age. Okay, because I don't know if you've been to Boulder lately, but no one has murdered anything <laughs> there. And, like, even soap. They don't... It's just where... If rich kids go that can't get into Ivy League schools. So, in addition to all this, Soldier of Fortune continued to play host to a series of classic articles for the modern man who's pretty sure he would have been Conan the Barbarian if a few cards had landed differently. And I think... Genetic cards. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Time cards, too. A lot of cards, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think the single best example of this magazine's content is this classic article that I am so excited to read to you, Billy Wayne Davis. <laughs> well, I don't know, that's not a good sign. <laughs> Secrets of Modern Battle Axe Fighting by Jeff Cooper. <laughs> this ain't everyday knowledge. <laughs> no. And this These ain't old secrets. school shit. <laughs> Modern secrets. Modern battle axe fighting. Trying to hit him in the neck. <laughs> A lot of people don't know that. Some important shit here. Neck. Weak. <laughs> Do it with your hands. The article opens with Jeff announcing that, for reasons that are never made clear, he has won an award that also <laughs> happens to be a hand-forged Norse battle axe. <laughs> Being the kind of man who writes for Soldier of Fortune magazine, Jeff Cooper decided he desperately needed to know how to kill people with this axe. Unfortunately, the only manuals he could find on axe fighting were archaic and not very detailed, so he and a friend despi- decided to spend the afternoon inventing a it modern... kept saying I had to drink mead first. <laughs> So he and a friend invent, spent an afternoon inventing a modern science of battle axe fighting by jabbing... An afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's Kung Fu was written in an afternoon. 
<laughs> a long afternoon. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was daylight savings. It was in like August, yeah. <laughs> so they did this by jabbing vaguely at hay bales in an empty field. Now, <laughs> Billy, I'm going to need you to take a look at a picture I've, from this article. I've studied how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to look at the picture, and I want you to notice that while he is jabbing this hay bale violently with an axe, he's wearing a gun on his hip. <laughs> and a fedora. And a fedora? No. Yeah, that is... Uh, We're going to pass this around. It is. <laughs> this is... It, he looks like you think he would. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't see his eyes, but they're beady. You yeah. know they're beady. <laughs> Go, oh, go. I gotta finish oh, sorry, reading the you page. Do your we'll job. pass this around because you really need to see Jeff Cooper doing the pike thrust, the straight <laughs> right, the full overhead, and of course port guard. Because sometimes you that. forget you got your gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might have a cigarette in his mouth on the last of these too. <laughs> he didn't even know he lit it. That's how. Yeah. He, that's how people smoke back then. They're like, "What you got? How'd they get? I don't even know." <laughs> so. The business of writing articles like this was rather safe, but Robert Brown was not satisfied with safe. He still found himself desperately addicted to war tourism, and the primary purpose of Soldier of Fortune magazine was to enable his habit. Throughout the mid-1980s, Brown and his magazine got increasingly involved in the El Salvadoran Civil War. He visited for the first time in 1983 and spent several happy days fighting alongside a cadre of mercenaries and paramilitary fighters backing Roberto D'Aubison. D'Aubison was, in the words of the U.S. ambassador to El Salvador, a path killer who bragged about the need to exterminate 200 to 300,000 people in his country. This is the guy Robert Brown's like, I don't want to be hanging with you. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass these battle axe photos around because I have a moral obligation to show them to you all. Yeah, you guys need to see him. Yeah. He looks like he looks like he looks like he's going to like, if he was around today, he'd have a red hat on in those pictures. Oh, no. Yeah, very specific brand. Oh. What happened with the light? I don't know, but just these people are important, though. Hi, y'all. Fuck you guys. Looking very nice. I was hoping it was shining on Katie Stoll and Cody Johnston, and it was just like a random oh, yeah. surprise. Oh, uh, that's like old school Vegas. We are like, hey, Dean Martin's in the audience. Yeah. Dean Martin is Dean in the like, audience, but... <laughs> Turn the light off. So, Dobison round, uh, ran death squads, which massacred women, children, and a huge number of priests, and Robert Brown was only too happy to help with that. By 1984, he claimed to have sent more than 100 mercenaries into El Salvador. He also claimed that and his... none came back. <laughs> a lot didn't. Um, he also claimed that his readers had donated more than $4 million in supplies to fight the Contra rebels in Nicaragua. When he was criticized over the fact that his magazine was actively enabling death squads in multiple nations, Robert Brown wrote this. We are not content to just tell the story. To the best of our ability, we also help equip, aid, and train the world's anti-communist freedom fighters. We make no apologies about this or for our virulent anti-tyrant, anti-communist editorial stance. Now, hey, hey. Not only do I report what happens, I shoot people. <laughs> From a safe distance. From a very safe distance. And then I leave. Now... Tragedy, tragically, Billy, and this is really going to bum me out. Robert Brown's second planned trip to go fight in El Salvador was canceled. Oh no! I know, I know, it's a bummer. I, but we all, you know, 
Sometimes you get sick and you can't make that trip. Sometimes, as in Brown's case, one of your own mercenaries shoots you in the leg. <laughs> and I, it took a long time. Yeah. Well, it's it just really, in the leg. Yeah. Well, that's you want. You're going to do some other stuff after you do that. <laughs> well, here's how the Chicago Tribune described what happened. Because this is, you're going to enjoy this. <laughs> Colonel Brown and his kitchen table buddies were talking about a flight to El Salvador that Brown was to make the next day. Brown, who was a captain in Vietnam, claims to be hel helping to train the Salvadoran army on an unofficial basis. He says he's making them tougher and more disciplined. As the Whoa, evening wore on... unofficial basis. Unofficial. I like that. Like, hey, I'm just going <laughs> to war these people up a little bit. Just an ad hoc thing. <laughs> Don't you mind me. Unofficially. <laughs> Teach them how to kill. <laughs> As the evening wore on towards midnight, one of Brown's buddies, who writes for Soldier of Fortune, took out an automatic pistol he was carrying and showed it to Brown. Brown's buddy talked about his pistol's heft, the trigger action, and the other qualities that please gun lovers. He pulled the trigger. Being a gun expert, he knew it was empty. When Brown's buddy, a gun expert, pulled the trigger, there was a loud explosion. He <laughs> he Never heard that before. <laughs> scared me. It scared me. <laughs> He stood there for a moment with his mouth wide open. Then he looked <laughs> yeah. at his hand and saw a hole. He had shot a hole through his hand. <laughs> Brown looked down at his leg. His leg hurt. He saw blood running out of his calf. The bullet, after blowing a hole in his buddy's hand, had blown a hole in Brown's leg. The, the owner of the gun was right. It did pack a wallop. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. I told every one of you. Y'all like, ah, that didn't look like a strong gun. I told you. Brown looked and down Brown, at you're it. You're lucky it, it slowed down through his hand. That could have hurt you. That would have done some real damage. That could have <laughs> fucked you up. Brown looked down at his bleeding leg. Then he looked at his buddy and said, you stupid son of a bitch, you shot me, and now I can't go to El Salvador. <laughs> That's a good story. <laughs> that's, that's a feel-good moment man, right there. We're we're all nine years old. Yeah. That's we we never get past. That's our media. Just like, <laughs> hey, now I can't go to the water park. <laughs> when I think about situations that scare me, as like a journalist embedded with a group of people. One of them is being there for that and having to like not laugh, like because <laughs> you really can't in that situation because one bullet's already gone off. They're not against using another, but. Yeah, we can correct who tells this story after this. <laughs> A different version of this gets out. As the 1980s wore on and the Cold War neared its end, so too did the business of soliciting mercenary fighters to crush, to crush socialist movements. Being a far-right crypto-fascist, Robert Brown transi transitioned seamlessly from demonizing left-wing movements around the world and towards attacking the U.S. government. As the Cold War ended, Soldier of Fortune became one of the prime sources fueling the America American militia movement. In April 1995, it did a cover story on the Michigan militia, the largest such patriot group in the country. That same month, Soldier of Fortune subscriber and former Michigan militia member Tim McVeigh set off a truck bomb outside the Murrah building in Oklahoma City, killing 168 people and injuring 700. 
When McVeigh was caught and his car was searched, the police found a photocopy of an underground right-wing zine called The Resistor. 60 Minutes correspondent Steve Croft described it as a political warfare journal describing the U.S. government as a deadly enemy that needed to be crushed with lethal force. Its publisher, Stephen Barry, was a former special forces man who went on to work for the National Alliance, at the time the largest neo-Nazi group in the United States. Now, the FBI obviously wanted to track down how this copy of The Resistor had wound up in McVeigh's hands, and by reading the fax signature of the paper, they were able to trace it back to Soldier of Fortune's offices, because it turns out Robert Brown had sent out 900 free copies of this zine to Soldier of Fortune subscribers as part of a promotional offer. Cool. Guys, this is a good deal. <laughs> it is a two-for-one, you know? That's going to spend the money anyway. <laughs> The Bureau wanted to know if Stephen Barry, Nazi, had any ties to Robert Brown. So yes, they leaked yes. him false intel and watched as, sure enough, that false intel appeared in Soldier of Fortune magazine. No way. <laughs> so Brown found himself regularly under investigation and sued, but he always managed to stay in business and just shy of getting convicted of any felonies. I had committing any felonies, but he absolutely committed some felonies. <laughs> Now, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> After the Oklahoma City bombing, the Patriot movement got too toxic for Soldier of Fortune to cover. But once the 90s ended, Soldier of Fortune was able to pivot yet again by focusing on the dangers of immigrants and Muslim extremists. In 2003, Soldier of Fortune published a two-part article on a group called Ranch Rescue, a border, a border vigilante group that later pistol-whipped and set Rottweilers on immigrants in Arizona and Texas. In October of 2009, Soldier of Fortune did a feature on Sheriff Joe Arpaio of Maricopa County. <laughs> yeah. What, you guys? He's a funny cartoon. <laughs> Writing, his tough stand on illegal immigration is what he's getting beat up for by liberals promoting illegal immigration. These people respecting other people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they neglected to mention that dozens of prisoners had died in Arpaio's jails at that point, often by being illegally restrained and boiled to get death in 145-degree uh, cells. Under Arpaio, the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office paid out more than $140 million in wrongful death suits. We don't talk about that. We don't like to talk about that. Shockingly, Robert Brown was not an instant fan of the candidacy of Donald J. Trump. When interviewed about it in 2016, he expressed his belief that the man was a buffoon and would hand the election to Hillary Clinton. Meaning Robert Brown was too optimistic. Um, <laughs> he has kept his mouth... He's wrong about everything. Yeah, though. he really is. It's amazing. <laughs> He's kept his mouth mostly quiet about Trump since then, involving himself primarily in internal NRA politics. He was once the organization's vice chairman. <laughs> no way! <laughs> Soldier of Fortune no longer publishes a physical magazine. Brown had to lay off almost all of his staff and go digital a few years back. The periodical is still online and still just as racist as ever, although no. its increasing irrelevance has made it less dangerous. In late 2019, the online edition of the magazine republished that 2012 article about Rhodesia. Whatever you can say about Robert Brown, he's not a quitter, although he really should be. Is he still, <laughs> is he alive still? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> That's frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's just one of those things where you're like, man, I, I wonder what he's doing right now. It's not good. It's not good. He's, he's too old and sick to do as much of the bad stuff. No, that's when shit gets bad. Try. He said like a year or two ago that he thinks he's got one more good war in him. So 
<laughs> That's the right reaction. Yeah. When anyone says shit like that. Now, yeah, I got one good war left. I, like, I got one more war. You shouldn't say things like that. Now, everybody, I know this has been an emotionally taxing episode. <laughs> I know this is an emotionally taxing year. And on top of well, all that... Well, a lot that, of them have to not read Soldier of Fortune anymore, and that's hard. I know. That's really a bummer to everybody. Like, a lot of people weren't prepared for that walking in. Turn in your killing people t-shirts. It's a bummer. <laughs> it's a bummer. Um, yeah. Now, we have brought... Courtesy of Sophie, a, a truly unreasonable number of bagels. And I want to pass those out to people in the crowds, and then you're going to take th turns tossing them at us, and we'll, we'll, we'll knock them out of the air. And, 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 and the water boy is not going to be excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's already some in the crowd already. Okay, good. Looking at you, Daniel, Jamie, Katie, Cody. Now, if, if we hit your bagel, then you're protected. If we don't, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> not a perfect science. That's what it is. Look, this wouldn't be a legitimate medical practice if we claimed it was perfect. I gotta yeah, put if it you're, Hey, this all, you also have to do diet and exercise with this. So. Stay off planes, all that stuff. I have to put it back around my neck to draw it again because it doesn't feel right unless it's dangerous. It looks good. I mean... There we go. All right, now. <laughs> what a weird. This is the weirdest shit. <laughs> so, now. Look at Robert. He looks like he defends MacArthur Park every night. <laughs> <laughs> now, Billy, I want to ask you to remember all of the safety precautions we talked about before this. I don't remember You want to hold the machete real loose. And you want to swing real it loose. at the crowd? And just as hard as you can with a loose just, grip. Just right at the mm -hmm. crowd, right? Critical. Okay. Senator Buck from Colorado taught me safety. <laughs> now, I, yeah, you're right. I don't want to Cheney the mic stand. <laughs> By the way, I could use your help with making Cheney a verb for that specific reason, so. I don't think Cheney gives a fuck. No. Uh, these are just CDs. We're not going to destroy these. Um, you can, well, fuck, we can't. These are just... You guys can have these. These are my first CD. I bought a bunch of them, and then they... Yeah, bag will be no, up No, it's a CD, you guys. Don't cheer. It's just a heavy fucking flyer I'm giving you. All right. All right. Billy, it's time. Okay, it's time. Sorry. Are you ready, Reverend Doctor? I'm fucking, yeah. All right. Start throwing. Holy shit. They're just coming at us. Ah! Oh, yeah. Ah! Uh -huh. Oh, God! What a terrible idea. It is, it's, well, because it just comes out of the darkness. Because you can't see them deep enough and then they just show up. It's like an old video game. We're not great at this. It's not, don't cheer. Okay. Uh, yeah, nice toss. All right, you do it with the machete. So I'm going to miss, and people don't I'm just going to toss it at and everything. you. All right, oh, so. shit. <laughs> oh, yeah! God. Don't 
She swung that right at the crowd, you guys. Oh. Holy shit. <laughs> there are so many bagels on the I'm stage. I'm not cleaning it up. <laughs> I don't know how to explain this to me. <laughs> I Now, I mean, I don't know if I, I really want to watch the first 15 minutes of the Adam Sandler show. <laughs> <laughs> Or he's just walking around like, at a medium pace. <laughs> Why are all these bagels here? <laughs> I mean, and the then good six news months is later, that... he's like, I'm the bagel man, right? Motherfucker. <laughs> I, I think didn't get any of that bagel money. One thing we've learned... Oh, there is still... Oh, Billy, Billy. We got to do, do the throwing, the whole thing between it. Because that, that's okay. how you make it explode. Okay. Here, just pass that around. Just this is a new machete. I'm not as used to hitting bagels. Grab as many. It. They're free. You can take 10. I don't give a shit. It's heavy, so you can have that bag. I don't give a fuck. There we go. Ready? I'm going to do it vertical or horizontal. So aggressive. Here, throw it high. I'm going to chop it down. There we go. And, oh, so high. So, so high. This is not, you just can't just sit that down. It's not a handy weapon. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, stop. Stop hitting it toward the crowd. <laughs> if you don't throw things at the crowd, then they don't know you're not I, engaged. I'm, can you tell I have a 10-year-old and everything? I'm like, this is, also, this is not Robert, good. Also, Robert, I'm now behind you, so don't kill me. I don't want to go to the emergency room. Never kill you, Sophie. Oh, thank you so much. All right, you can do it one more. <laughs> that guy's getting fucked up. All right, all right. We have to stop doing this because this is actually a very big problem now. So we have to we have to clean everything. <laughs> but yeah, I want you all to take with you the knowledge that through the good graces of Machetison, you are all now protected, and that's legally binding. You're not. All right, everybody. Thank you guys for coming. That's Thank you all so we much. got. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. 
I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find, for the fun of it, kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 